we went with MasterCard and used their digital first, just like Apple. We just really realized there was one big piece of the card that was different mousetrap even than what Apple had done, which was you can get your cash, you can use your cash, you can go to an ATM, pull it out, you can do peer-to-peer payments, all good, but you couldn't do e-commerce. The most common cause of bad customer experience isn't that high tech. It's embarrassingly simple. Yep, it's answering questions. In e-commerce, it's really easy to get bogged down with common questions, whether that's, where's my package? How do I return or exchange this item? Or just to cancel a subscription? SolvePath is an AI-driven customer support system that enhances the customer experience with visual formats and self-serve technology to empower your customers to handle their own support requests. Get the best customer support system for your business. Get SolvePath. Get started by visiting GetSolvePath.com. You're now listening to Fintech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid. Be sure to subscribe to Fintech Confidential on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player by going to podcast.fintechconfidential.com and sign up for Fintech Confidential information at access.fintechconfidential.com. And then we got the Jets. All right. Awesome. Hey, Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you. Be- before we dive into Vital Card, which I believe is one of your most interesting ventures and truly is going to change how we perceive social commerce coming forward. Can you share with us how you got into FinTech? Sure. I dumbed my way into it, I guess, from a banking career. So, you know, I like to say I'm a a reforming banker, but I think once you are one, you stay one. But uh, (laughs) I was in banking for 23 years and all at um, in between JP Morgan and then BBVA. So a global um, bank plus a global bank. Um, So did everything and saw everything at scale. Uh, had lots of interactions with the card brands, had lots of interactions inside of the fintech space because I also, uh, my last couple of years at BBVA, I helped with the ventures group. So we had $100 million that yearly we would dump into what we saw was great technology. Um, we, I was part of the team that bought uh, Simple, which was one of the first digital banks you know, that was out there out of Portland. Um, and then we put some of the first money into Dewalla. Um, as peer-to-peer and money movement was really starting to happen from a app standpoint, um, I had a cu- a client uh, that I had helped uh, in the uh, merchant acquiring space. He had made some money um, a few times off of a couple of deals that we had helped engineer at, at the bank with portfolios that were um, going out of business or had bad attrition rates and trying to save them. So we cobbled some deals together for them, and uh, they decided that they wanted to raise money and go and really try to scale at a large amount and then exit within two years. I had a 23 year career banking. So I said, hey, you know, why not? Let's try this. And I put all the chips into the middle of the table, cashed out my retirement, cashed out my 401k. I wouldn't advise that for anybody (laughs) and and take a healthy penalty. Um, But I figured I knew how to do this and, you know, I was gonna be able to at least get it back. Um, And that worked out luckily, but about two iterations later. So we bought about 800 merchants off of a couple of, um, uh, I would say, dying portfolios and just 
kind of re-energized them with some basic technology. And then after about two years, it was really 19 months before we actually went into raising money, um, we uh, decided that we were going to go earnestly all in. Um, and we grew the book to about 55,000 merchants, mostly, you know, inorganic, but we just did it through a large number of associations as well. And we ended up exiting um, to Goldman Sachs and Prudential Capital. And the, the story started really from there after that. Wow. That journey just kind of goes all over the place. Uh, not in a bad way, yeah. but, but just definitely takes you through that entire, entire process and that entire flow. From being in all those different roles, senior leadership, startup type areas, those different things, how has that shaped your perspective on fintech delivering better solutions to the market? When I was at the bank, I was always very um, skeptical just because you look at it in a very different view. And then once I got into um, really looking into the ventures programs and it was kind of more my my job and my hide, you know, the money was spent and it wasn't on anything, you know, that was going to expand and grow. Um, I obviously spent way more time with it. I realized almost 90%, I would say, at least um, of every senior leader or entrepreneurial leader in any of these companies all came from, you know, big commerce previous to that. Banks, finance companies, insurance companies, a lot of tech guys. Um, and they were all geniuses, you know, great, great minds. And it all came down to the same thing is you'd have the best product with no distribution. You'd spend all your money on building product, no distribution. Or you had a great sales force, you know, and they could sell anything, but they were slow to innovate. And then they had no money because, you know, it's a static state, you know, um, kind of growth cycle. And you, even if you do 10% more, if you're doing hundreds of thousands of deals, 10% more is not enough to, you know, build uh, all this new technology. Um, and then the other pieces of it, you know, quite frankly, was just um, from distribution to technology. And then they had people that just couldn't market. You know, they knew exactly how to build it, but they didn't know how to market it. So, you know, after I saw a lot of that being put together, you know, I just realized that the evolution of this is less about products. Products is, it's not easy. It's very, very challenging, but, you know, products you can kind of follow the path of where they're going and then you can execute a little better and still make a great living, you know, selling the same product. The innovative products, you know, I, I tell people a lot just of what we see in the market. And I've seen this so much from the banking. It's like, there's only so much you want to be a trailblazer most of the time in fintech. You know, you want to be the, like the close pioneer behind because trailblazer usually shows everybody the path. Sometimes the trailblazer goes to jail. And, you know, especially has, in fintech. Yeah, yes, in fintech. And then the, the pioneers seem to get all the, the you know, press afterwards. But, um, you know, it, it's like one of those things that pays to be innovative, but it pays more to be innovative and then persistent and adapt. That, that's the biggest thing. You know, any of these places that we've helped and that w we continue to try to strive to be there, the pivot is the biggest difference, how they pivot. So I can only imagine seeing all those different things and seeing that problem with distribution and, and seeing great products that just maybe just didn't have enough oomph to it, mm -hmm. for lack of a better phrase. I would love if you could take a moment when you and your co-founder, Chris Bridges, decided like Vital Card must be created. Kind of bring us to like that moment, that aha moment. I have to be, not take... Uh, 
too much of any of the credit for the original concept. You know, Chris is an amazing marketer and really, you know, brand and marketing and product is what he's really amazing in. Um, there was a original um, co-founder that he had as well that was a really good operator, never in payments, however, um, previously. And, you know, he ended up um, doing a lot of the things with Chris just as far as finding people that would be interested in a fintech idea. Um, they thought a credit card would be a good idea, but it was one of multiple different ideas. Um, and when I met Chris, his previous uh, co-founder that had at least raised an initial couple hundred thousand dollars with, um, you know, wanted to take a different direction. So when I sat down and we talked, you had this idea about the sharing model and it was um, Uber and Lyft and Airbnb were like right after second or third year where it was really coming out. This is about four and a half years ago. And, it, you know, the idea was just around, you know, everybody that we uh, see, we're friends with, that we're close with, you know, half of them, it's you only see them online. You only see them on your social channels. You only see them on your media channels. And we're talking about our kids and, you know, my kids in general and uh, just the entire opportunity of, you know, the generations just share. They share everything, good, bad or indifference, they share. And that they became a sharing society. It was becoming a sharing society. We just talked about, you know, the model of, um, because he was in acquiring at the time too, we were just talking about how MLMs and different things that when you really look at it, it's not about the product. It's generally about the community at the beginning. And the further you grow, the less about the community, the, the message stays, and then it becomes what it is, which is generally not good. The real parts of it were, you know, societies that are grown up and fostering and sharing, you know, a lot of European countries, I used to work in many of them when, when I was um, at BBVA, we talked about how banks also, you know, have a lot of social, um, I wouldn't say cultures, but it, it's definitely social um, traits that kind of bleed over outside of the U.S. into the banking system. And one of the things that he had asked me about was, you know, if we we're looking at cards, what would be the biggest difference? And I launched a couple of cards um, that were outside of the U.S. and they were all built on this model that we also have, um, which is where I saw it, that the banks don't hold small consumer debits or I'm sorry, credits. Uh, so when they issue a credit, if it's a few thousand to ten thousand dollars, it never sits on the bank's balance sheet. They don't believe that, you know, that should be what deposit holders have to to uh, share out with their deposits. They would rather get interest and make money on their money um, versus just have supporting all the small uh, debt, they figure small debt shouldn't take 25 years to pay off. Novel, novel concept for us. So um, I, I watched how it worked. I watched how they would sell into, you know, the debt markets. I watched how, um, you know, they would have multiple different, um, what I'd say is kind of data sharing activities and points. Um, everybody knew everything about their cardholders. Everybody knew everything about the way that um, the debt cycles would work. They knew when they should run um, merchant funded campaigns, all good things, you know, that all good card programs do, minus the fact that, you know, there was this extreme pressure on the backside to always keep attrition low, make sure that the customer service was really, really good because somebody had to buy the debt. Nobody wanted to buy any debt where you'd never knew your customers. They couldn't react to you. There was no um, positive uh, interactions with them after they issued the card. So, you know, you live a service first kind of operating world when when you're a corporate exec. So I thought the message was really good. I thought, you know, this is really uh, going to be an impossible concept. I thought back then, you know, in the U.S. market, just with how saturated it is with credit cards. But I told him the model. He said, 
we should really think on this. And, you know, if we could do the debt, we should, uh, we, we should really give it a go. Then it was the sponsor bank question. You, you know, how many? Always sponsor the sponsor bank, bank yeah. question. So because I was a banker and because I had um, just had left banking, it, I was fortunate enough to um, be referred over uh, by one of my attorneys that, that I had worked with at the bank for many years. She had referred me over to um, a small bank that had just uh, bought out a couple of other assets um, in Arkansas and Tennessee, and they really wanted to get into payments. And uh, I had just left a, a two-decade-plus career in banking and payments and asked if uh, I do like a professional mentoring and professional um, just kind of uh, strategy when the time comes phone call position. It turned into a board position afterwards, and that was at Evolve Bank and Trust. And, um, you know, I went to Scott, walked him through um, kind of our ideas. They are heavily engaged and involved into the fintech space, probably, you know, the most involved out of the, what I would say is a smaller, you know, regional bank. And, uh, it, you know, well, and they have a couple of big names oh, really big. underneath, yeah, underneath really big. Of their umbrella. Right. Treasury's $93 billion market cap. I'd say it's pretty big. Mercury, pretty big. So, you know, he liked the concept. We didn't know exactly how it was going to flesh out, but he said, you know, put a plan together, come back to me. I'm not, I'm not saying no. So, you know, what I've learned in my career too, is you never get compliance or bank presidents or anybody else, they're rarely going to say yes, but the, the job is to, to get them to not immediately say no. So that, we took that as a win and it started from there. The goal is not yes, it's just not, not no. Yeah. Love it. Love it. How has the vision evolved from that, that point when, you know, you guys were looking at it, you started to get all the different things lined up. How has that vision evolved and that is not meant as a pun yeah, I, or anything. I was going to say it if you weren't. So, uh, <laughs> you know, um, I, I think the three biggest differentiators of the card are probably the three biggest evolution. The first one was, um, we talked about distribution, you know, earlier, the, the distribution there, the, that was probably, um, the biggest aha moment for us as we started just seeing the rise of social influencers and, you know, um, lots of paid advertising, lots of, lots of people that, you, you know, were getting lots of different compensation or lots of different, um, what I call dead cat bounces, you know, on all of these different things when they were, they'd put out a monster energy drink with, you know, some, you know, great big social influencer and you'd see it everywhere. And that splash campaign, you know, makes a big difference in doing things with, um, you know, short sales cycles like a, a credit card would. So we talked about that the one thing that is generally the albatross of all banks that sell credit cards or even um, any type of, of purchasing card is the marketing, like the spend on marketing and then the return to just get an, uh, not only just a complete application, because that's one metric, but a, an approved completed application is a huge expense. You know, it's like 130 bucks generally on average that it costs for an acquisition cost just to get them to fill out an application around most banks. And then it's about 210 to $225 once you complete all the CACs and, you know, do everything just to get that active customer. So we just looked, we looked at how many cards you'd have to sell and then activate the cards on top of it um, and then get them to use it. And we were like, you have to sell a lot of cards to, so to do this. I'm going to bring you back because you used an acronym that, that I, I'm aware of, but maybe some of the, the audience isn't aware of. You said CACs. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I'm assuming that wasn't like a slang for a cat. No, but I mean, you see your cogs, CACs, you, you know, um, 
your customer acquisition costs, it, you know, uh, it's, you, there's one thing that you learn when you build product, which is you think it's just the product and the development and that's it. And then you forget, well, there's marketing spends. There's a big piece of this that once the product is actually done, you have a whole other ball of wax that you have to, to get through, which is how do you market it? How much does it cost to market it? And then how much does the product even make? And for how long are you going to be in the red before it makes anything back? So, you know, there's good products. Managers usually don't get excited about anything until they understand what the, the CACs are going to be to, to complete the sale. So, um, again, Chris, it, being the, the ultimate brand guy that he is, he just said, I'm, I'm not going to go raise money just to have a bunch of other marketers or other people that I don't believe are good at this. Um, which is generally true with banks. I'm a, I'm a former banker. I say it. So, you know, I, I wholeheartedly agreed, but we um, kind of looked at each other and he, he came up with it far more than me. And he said, you know, we're, we're just going to do this by social influence. We're going to let all the people sell this. They'll just refer it and we'll make it really, really good for them to refer, really, really good for them to use it. And uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. And, you know, as that progressed over the first, call it, you know, six to eight months, we really mapped it out, um, started looking at a lot of the, the influencer models and looking at a lot of the, uh, what I would say was, were, um, you know, kind of the, the new uh, guerrilla marketing type things that were coming out on Twitter and Instagram. And he knew a couple of guys in LA where he was at a time, went and did a very uh, grassroots commercial that was just going to go out on social pages and on Twitter. Um, it was, it's a pretty cool commercial. I mean, we haven't even released it and I think we're just going to refresh it because it's like still pretty, pretty topical and good. Um, and he said, let's just go see how this goes. And we're going to build a lot of metrics. We just did a simple web hooks, you know, kind of campaign and went and followed what we did. And, you know, after about, I'd say six, seven weeks, we did about 150,000, you know, uh, applications into the, to what we, uh, had as a landing page for the wait list. Um, and you know, I think we would have probably got up and running right then. And, you know, the story kind of pivots, like I said, all good pivots. Um, but ours pivoted for the bad reasons. It was for COVID. And, you know, at that point, there was no money in the market. There was nobody that wanted to go out and put out consumer debts when nobody knew how spending was going to look. So, you know, all of this kind of hit the brakes, you know, for a year. And then after that is really how we've had to re-energize, refocus, and during those refocuses, I mean, those were the, the second and the third biggest changes. One, um, we, we knew that FICO, just from being in the financial services industry and just seeing what's happened to, you know, people in terms of their earnings, in terms of what they, they look for um, in, in kind of value in consumer products now, um, credit was getting used a lot differently. We just said... We, we want to attract the social shares. We want to attract those that are going to use the cards. I, from a banking standpoint, know, um, you know, these Gen Zs and millennial population, not only, you know, do I raise a bunch of them uh, in my house, but, you know, uh, we just know that it's a high, high target, high, um, you know, kind of focused customer segment. So we wanted to make the card around 18 to 39 year olds, you know, the Gen Zs and millennials. And what we have found through a lot of this backtesting was, thin files. You know, if nobody could get the cards, Apple did a really, really good job of, you know, allowing families to share their own credit lines, build up small credits for their kids or, you know, young adults. And then also just having a balance sheet and having the confidence to interact with the customers and the customers to respond, which is what we've 
uh, taken great pride into as well and why we're so confident. And then, you know, the third piece of it was just around the brand. You know, our brand was shared everywhere. We had um, a big piece of this, you know, is based on your kind of viral coefficiency. If you're going to, if you're going to do everything on sharing, people better prove it out and share it for you. So, you know, when we talked about getting an app done, you know, it was again, 130 bucks roughly for a bank. We, we were getting people to come in for around 14 cents, you know, on paid ads or paid clicks to get that. And when we, they would come into the environment to, to fill out the information for all the pre-launch, they were bringing on average five and a half friends for free. So, you know, the viral coefficiency at five and a half was, you know, astounding. And uh, we hoped that we would be able to carry that through, you know, during COVID and it's proven out, you know, now that we're ready to get in the market, we've done a start engine campaign, we've relaunched and put out what the physical cards will look like now. And it, it, we feel really good about it. You dove into, I mean, these are the types of things um, that really you have to have to test retest, test again. Mm -hmm. You guys have done a lot of that, not just with the individual customers, but also with experts in the the marketing segment, mm -hmm. experts in the financial, additional experts in those mm -hmm. two areas, because you and Chris both got those covered, but you know that 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 there are other aspects and that that's really interesting to see. And, and like, how did those experiences with the, the launch yeah. Programs help. There's a lot of really interesting um, kind of social uh, experiments is what I would call them, you know, because really the, you don't know how it's going to react. And the the groups that you use, we, you know, used philosophy and um, uh, did a, another couple of groups that, you know, have subsequently kind of expanded and grown and turned into <laughs> a lot of other things. So people probably wouldn't know who they were, but they would know the names, you know, those that founded it. But um, we did product journeys, you know, I think we ended up doing 45 different user um, kind of uh, proto prototypes. And, and we would go through and say, you know, this is their age band. This is their income band. This is what they like to do socially. This is what they look like, you know, personally, from a, a debt and a credit standpoint and a friends and a social standpoint. So you get to you get to really kind of test a lot of um, theories, but then it's proven out because you go out and you do surveys. And, you know, we went in New York City. Chris had moved from L.A. to New York City. Um, instead of paying to, to just go and continue to put on a roadshow for a year when we knew we weren't going to get any debt, we knew that the markets were going to be stale waiting for COVID to pass. We just spent the, the money that we had that we were bootstrapping along the way um, and just did all these product journeys. So we built out what we thought, you know, were interesting surveys about how do you use your apps? Which apps do you like? Why do you like it? it you know, it was great because um, Robinhood came along during this time and, and you know, it's um, self-sourced kind of user containment um, and, and the way that everybody interacts with it uh, really gave us a, a lot of good feedback and good road mapping. The Apple card obviously was out and was doing really well with Apple Cash. So that gave us a really good um, kind of lever that we've built on around our vital cash um, and kind of ways that ours is different and ways that we, you know, kind of got to see how consumers were unfolding and reintroducing uh, themselves back into the society. Uh, we just found out all of the things that we felt like we know that are important, but more important, you know, we had a 
hundred and some odd thousand people that had signed up for this thing that we had to keep them, you know, at least informed, much less, you know, excited about it. And the interaction that we still had constantly with them, you know, through our test environments and through um, just interacting with their social pages and social media, it became pretty apparent to us, you know, this, this thing has legs. Um, the idea has legs and everything became more social during COVID, you know, everybody shared everything. Yeah. So, you know, figured it's, it's the right time. Well, that was the only way for people during that time yeah. to, to really have any sort of interaction with human beings outside of their four, uh, four walls, is a, but within their house, mm-hmm. household. And so, you know, that the, the acceleration of, of digitization mm-hmm. in everybody's life just completely exploded. And now you get into the point where people are buying things online, which means they're not, they're not able to go to a store. So they're buying things online. How are they going to figure out it's, it's a good product? Mm-hmm. That means that they're asking, they're going to ask their friends and their family. And maybe they'll just see that somebody said something good about it. And that really, that social capital really gets built up a lot faster today than what it has in in any time before. A big thing that our card is built on is, you know, uh, teaching everyone around credit, right? You know, credit is really, you know, important to these two populations that we're trying to to serve and help. But, you know, COVID did a good job in that with helping us because nobody would give credit, you know, to the 18 to 21 year old thin file user. The vital mission is outlined on the website and it's written like this. I'm going to read it so I don't get it wrong. To empower our members and future users with income opportunities earned from community building and responsible spending. That's a powerful mission. It's not easy to attain, but kind of give us an idea of like a couple of maybe three or four things that Vital is doing differently than what's in the market today. It goes pretty deep. When, when we talk about responsible spending, it's not just, you know, you spending responsibly on your card. It's sharing, you know, what that means. We had this huge kind of grassroots community that came out after we had done our wait list. What we did learn during all of our surveys were, you know, Gen Z's and millennials don't like making money off of their friends and family but they do love sharing ways that they make money or they got something good or could um, share with somebody else so they can get good as well. We thought, you know, most people don't get a card. They're not told why other than the, you know, the adverse action letters that come in and it's got either something that's just as cold as this was your score and it needed to be this. There's nothing that tells you how to do anything better to get it um, to improve. It may say you had too many inquiries, but it doesn't say what ones really hurt you versus not what we wanted to do, which was empower them to understand how does credit actually work? What do you need it for? What do you not need it for? And what do they look at in this 18 to 39 year old demographic? You start to see, you know, it's thin files. They don't get any credit for the fact that they may have 15 bills that they're paying every month. We started to just watch things that happened with Experian and watch things that happened with, um, you know, COVID with all of the the medical bills and different things like that, that were starting to get um, kind of excused out of payments in terms of their flows on what would go to a 30 or 60 or 90 day, you know, reporting against a customer. So we just said, 
we should do something that helps the responsible part of this. One, we should teach them about credit. So every time they make a purchase or every time they want to make a purchase, they can just interact with the app and it'll say, this is what it would do if you didn't pay it off. This is what it would do if you only paid it on the minimums. This is what it would do if you paid X, Y, Z a month. So <clears throat> as we started doing that, you know, there's such a wide range of mm -hmm. things that can happen to you from the three bureaus that we said, let's not, let's not test that thing that's been broken forever, you know, and try to teach people on how to work something broken. Let's say, you know, the only thing you should care about is the cards taking care of you. You know, we want to be top of wallet for them and just a, a thing that they use in their life every day, just like their phone. Um, so we just said, we're going to do a vital score. We'll, we'll have their vital score and that's going to be, you know, around lots of things like their community um, spend and what they're getting from the folks that they referred. It's going to be how well they're doing in their credit life and what does that do? So we also started talking about nobody incents you to pay anything down. You don't get an award when you pay stuff yeah, off. That's been a big piece and a big driver for the Gen Z. And for those individuals that are not comfortable, don't want to build out a credit line that have decided to jump into the buy now, pay later mm -hmm. arena because they don't want to have bad credit. They don't want to have to owe anybody anything. This sounds like a nice way for them to, to really see how it impacts. Because a lot of the cases, like even for my oldest child, the, the fear is destroying credit for when they need it and not knowing, as you mentioned, not knowing what's impacting it. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like the vital card is as, cause kind of solve that issue as well. I always have to meter myself, you know, raising five sons. I think I told you this once before. It's like age 15 to 25, you do everything to ruin your credit. 25 to 35, you repair your credit. 35 and on, you can actually use your credit. So yeah. it was really more of when do people have it and when does it matter to them the most? And it's generally right in this age band. Um, you know, first jobs out of college, first times that they have responsibilities on their own, and, you know, it goes back to that thing of, you know, what were they actually getting credit for? I mean, not like the credit score, but like, what are you actually getting a, re a positive report or a positive, um, you know, feedback from the, the people you have a contract with, your creditors? Um, and what we started to really look at, uh, Plaid, you know, does a really good job of obviously feeding data into those that want to understand it. Mm -hmm. um, we've got an incredible data scientist on our team as well. I had done credit for so many years. We just looked at it and said, it's got, there's this really big, you know, gap in between what you get counted against you on your debt to income ratio versus what goes nowhere in your favor. If you have 50 different bills that are on your checking account and your checking account's pristine and you still have money at the end of the month, that's truly your cash, right? It's your cash on hand. So you could pay your bill a little better if I knew, you know, how that worked more than your credit where you only have one file. What's what that one file going to tell me? So, you know, and generally your first file is going to be a pretty low limit. So, you know, Credit, all, um, credit was a big function on that. And then two, you know, was what happens if you don't get approved? What, why would this be great, um, you know, if we could only target the ones that get approved? That's one of the pieces. I mean, you know, you guys have been very strong on diversity and inclusion. And that goes beyond what you see in the news today. It goes all the way down to people who have no credit history at all. Mm -hmm people that have credit, but maybe have come across hard times and, and haven't been able to keep it up to the way they want. And then, and then the people who have great credit, you, you've been able to figure out a way 
to bridge that gap, I know that's important to to you and to Chris and to the to Vital Card. How how does that help the industry uh, of fintech as well as the consumers themselves? The thing that we've done is, you know, we partnered with with different folks at the different credit bureaus and we had three and a half million use cases, you know, from age bands from 18 all the way to 85. And we just did hundreds of thousands of iterations with, um, you know, certain scores, certain thin files, certain job histories, certain bank histories. And we made a conscious effort, like with any product, you have to hang your hat on, you know, what do you think that this product is going to, to value? And what we said was, you, you know, the last 12 months of your financial uh, kind of life and its performance is the best indicator of what we think we're going to get out of the next 12 months for you, especially coming out of COVID. Because what we saw was, you know, pre-COVID, the same groups of Gen Zs and millennials, they would get a credit, the first credit that they would get, generally a credit card. Um, and with six months, they would have four. And within that six months, we've found over the three and a half million use cases that over 70% of them all had volume uh, up to 90% of their uh, credit limit. So they would get a card, quickly learn how to use the card, and then get four more cards, and they'd be maxed out on four cards within six months. We really had to focus on, well, how would they pay it back? You know, and, and jobs, um, you know, it's, it's been an interesting roller coaster there as far as what unemployment was or not unemployment and still a lot of cash in this country, even with unemployment. We looked at that and said, let's just look at their ability to repay. Stop with the credit, stop with the score and what that score drives you to think, because that prejudices what your real outlook is on what they could be. And they do pay their bills. Most of their bills, you know, 60 some odd percent are on recurring payments that come out of their checking account. And nobody gets any credit for those types of things because the Gen Z's millennials have Netflix and Hulu and all of the apps from their phone being withdrawn from their app store. They've got their gym membership. You know, everything comes out of on recurring payments and recurring payments are things that most people, especially in fintech, know if you try to get somebody on auto pay, it's just a recurring auto pay. It's less than 15 percent. Generally, it's a hard thing to do. They want to tell you when you can access the account. So, you know, for that. The fact that this new generation of consumers, you know, they don't necessarily trust the big brands, the big banks, the big box um, brands, but for some reason they trust the fact that those big box brands or just anybody in general, if they have an agreement with them, they have put a lot more use into auto debit, auto pay, and obviously the, the merchants that do that, like the Netflixes and Hulus, that's their model, you, you know, that recurring billing and subscription model. So again, uh, stars aligning, I think maybe a little bit, you, you know, from a, a product um, learnings and, and launch standpoint, but all things that, you know, have really just helped us <clears throat> where we've had these ideas four years ago. Maybe it could be a, a good idea. Now it's, you know, come to fruition, you know, without a lot of any of our doing, but, you know, all working towards our advantage. One of the things that to, to help educate in the process is that the card gives credit score rewards, mm -hmm. just like it gives spending rewards. So you're, you're rewarding them for doing the spending and you're doing them, rewarding them for paying back the spending. And then, then the other really cool part is like, and when I want to share that with my friends, I also get rewarded. So you're hitting those three pillars that, that drive the behavior that you're looking for. And that's a little unique yeah. in the marketplace. Non-monetary rewards for us too is big. You know, we, if you improve your credit score, 
you know, 50 points after that was one of your personal goals that you interact with the app and tell it we give monetary rewards and non-monetary rewards, meaning we'll drop their rate, you know, for 90 days to 2.99% for everything for growing their credit scores. So, you know, it's to your point, sharing your successes, sharing, you know, your uh, uh, kind of satisfaction with with us as their financial partners, um, sharing it with their friends and having their friends spend because they can responsibly tell their friends, this is what I did. This is what it'll do for you. It's not always about the cash. If you go to a restaurant and I do this all the time with my kids, you know, and I see their friends that come, they all split everything 50, 50 It's very democratic, you know, but they'll do it all with you know, four different cell phones, do you in Venmo or Cash App or Zelle or PayPal or whatever, you know, and it's down to the penny as we thought about the sharing parts of it and said, you know, nobody shares their points. And if you do, you have to pay money to share your points and it costs you more money to get points. And most of the time we want them around each other too. We'd like to have our vital card and vital community members do things together. You know, that's the point of the the social aspect of, of commerce and sharing inside of that when you bring that together. So we said we should just let everybody share their points with other people, you know, not pay to share your points, but donate and do. And, you know, that was our last kind of lever of kind of the, the how are we different? You know, we want to give monetary and non-monetary rewards, you know, just for being a good person. For those who are listening or watching that, 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 are getting excited and want to find out about this. You guys are in soft launch right now. Mm-hmm. And test cards in the market. Yep. So you've got got the cards out in the market that, that people are using and just proving out a lot of the things that we've we've talked about in day-to-day life, mm-hmm. right? Can you share how many how many cards that are expected to go out on the full launch date? If we could walk away with in the first six months, have 150 to 200,000 card users. I'd say that we've, we, we've validated our market and proven that, you know, this was a good choice for us to kind of uh, soldier through for the last four years. And you guys have spent a lot of time focusing in on the experience, whether it, it's a really nice mobile app, you've got a great mobile, ex- mobile first experience on the web, you've, you've really built out the rewards program to really give a top-notch digital-first experience. But you didn't just stop at the digital experience. Oh, and I did forget, this is, uh, this will or is going to be able to be loaded to all the digital wallets too. It is. So so we're still expanding on that digital wallet, Mm -hmm. that digital experience. But... The physical experience, you guys, you guys didn't cheap out on that. You didn't just no. do some some screen printed uh, plastic card. You guys dove into a metal card, just like the Apple card that everybody loves, just like some of the high end American Express cards or some of the really really high end cards. Yep. And and I'd love to understand what was the the philosophy to dive into such a high-end card. Yeah, so, you know, one of the things that we, uh, again, did through a lot of surveys and a lot of um, just understanding what makes it to the top of your wallet, you know, in the digital wallet, uh, obviously, we wanted to give the experience the exact same, you know, that it, it should be on all premiums, like what you said. So, you know, if it's the app, you shouldn't lose anything on the, the mobile optimized site. Um, you shouldn't lose anything when you're going from your wallet to the physical cards. Because our 
digital first product and we went with MasterCard and used their digital first, just like Apple, only because um, we just really realized there was one fake piece of the card that was a different mousetrap even than what Apple had done, which was you can get your cash, you can use your cash, you can go to an ATM, uh, pull it out, you can do peer-to-peer payments, all good, but you couldn't do e-commerce. You couldn't pick or bifurcate in between, you know, your credit or your cash. Some people just want to use their cash, you know, instead, but you can't do that, you know, inside of that mobile wallet experience. So we ran our cash card and the cash program on a private label MasterCard bin, which allows for e-commerce to continue to happen. So within that MasterCard ecosystem, we'll give you know our vital cash members ubiquity across the payments the universe to to use their cash that they've been able to to reward themselves with. And then the card, you know, the card is great. You can't deny the sound of that card when you sit it down on the table or you've you put it into one of the little plastic trays to pay at a restaurant yep. or you hand to somebody and they, they grab it, their hand goes down a little bit. It's not as heavy as like the JP Morgan Palladium card, which is like probably, you know, the, the, <laughs> the Rolls Royce of all cards. We weren't exactly going for that, but we, you know, status and brands, you know, again, are one of our leading charges of like why you pick anything that you're going to use constantly. What our card holders and our future card holders told us through multiple surveys, it was, you know, I would use my card still during COVID, you know, um, that's not going to stop me from using a card when, when the world returns. So we really took a lot of stock into that. And then, you know, there's obviously a black card, there's a silver card, there's a gold card, all kind of represent different things to different people. But the real winner out of all of this thing was the rose gold card. I think it was 67% of our um, uh, female college educated in the working world already and doing highly, highly well for themselves all said, that's the one I want. I'll not get a wallet before I would get the, the rose gold card. So we, we, got our, uh, we got our message loud and clear. We narrowed it down to those four colors. Cards still matter. Dropping a heavy card. People said, I, I want an Amex Black. I want, you know, the Amex Platinum or the, the Sapphire, the Palladium cards, because I, I want to feel the status of having a good metal card. They cost you exactly how they look, but they're, <laughs> they're definitely something that, you know, if we, we said we weren't going to go to the market without it, so I'm glad we could do that. Yeah. I'm still looking for that flat black, black everything card. Just when you look at it, you're like, is that even real? Uh-huh. Um, and you guys came pretty close. Pretty close. Seemed pretty close. As, as close as the card ran. I was just going to say, it let you, you get, you know, it took a lot of work to even get, to be able to grayscale out the MasterCard, which, you know, Apple was the only one in the, in the market that had done that. And they had 7 million cards, you know, so that there was a little bit more higher likelihood that they were going to be MasterCard, you know, world elite status, you know, when they came through. So that that's another thing, you know, that we looked at we're not going to have world elite status by any means being a brand new card out in the market, but we're going to give all of our card holders world elite status and, and work our way into it as a company. If you're going to get the card, you're going to care how it met, uh, care how it looks. You're going to always use it. We should get you the best benefits and the best reasons to have that card. We immediately out of the gate said the look matters. And if that's the only way we can get the look, that's what we're going to do. So you mentioned something just a moment ago that made me think about it. You mentioned the, the vital card and the vital cash card. Mm-hmm. 
Help me understand what is the difference between those two and, and how, or is there a difference? There's no difference other than in your Apple wallet, you know, or your, just your Android wallet as well. You know, Apple cash is just your cash equivalent, but you can load it. You can preload it off of your bank account and you can pull it over, you know, because we're going to have such a large cash component with the vital community and the referring program, you know, we wanted to make the cash more accessible and we wanted to make it more as just a, as equal parts important to the the way that we pay is all based on the numbers of referrals that you get. So you're going to get four points for your direct referral, one, one person down from you. And then you're going to get two points for every one person that they refer. And then any people that they refer to, you'd get a point for them as well. So as that really stacks up, it can move quick yeah. and they just have to spend in order to, to allow you to make money. So you get one and a half percent for everything that you spend. Then you get 1% of what the whole vital community spend is for that month. And it starts to break out by their top reward or, or top refers, you know, so the more they get, the more they spend, they're going to get those residual checks for all of those community members that they brought in for the life of the program, as long as they're spent on everybody's card. So we just thought of it, we looked at it and we said, it's such a big, valuable basis to the card and it's true money, it's true cash. And we're going to allow people to donate it and share it and do all of these other things. So um, we need to make it accessible. Now you got really curious. So does that mean that my rewards that I get, let's say in cash-based rewards, so they go on to the, do I have a, a vital card that then the rewards go into the cash card? There's no rewards. It's all equals in cash. So your rewards are cash rewards. Okay, so, so my cash, I'm, I'm saying about my cash reward. Vital cash reward. Yes. Yeah. So your vital cash, you know, you can access it in all ways. So, you know, let's just take the card not present opportunity where that is different. Um, then let's say again, the, you know, the Apple cash is, you can load it still where it's connected to a bank account and you can preload it and then peer to peer pay it. You know, that's one of the really great benefits from the Apple card. Um, so all taking in all that same functionality, having the ability to, to use Zelle, PayPal, Venmo off of your cash, still very, very important to the, to the digital natives and the Gen Zs and millennials. Um, but that e-com piece was the big missing piece. So you can use your vital cash, um, you know, and because it's on a MasterCard private label bin as well through our sponsor bank, then you could actually do it with your uh, custom pan that you're going to have, which is your card number. Um, which is probably an important thing to note, you know, your card number doesn't show up on your card. You know, everything in Vital is built into your wallet. So you've got your own um, custom pan that you're going to be issued for MasterCard, but you can change your card number every day if you want. You know, it's a virtual card. So if the, if the number is ever compromised, you have controls of all of those securities within your app. You'll be able to change the number, but that pan number, you know, whether it's a unique nine-digit pan for a private label card, or you know, you're going to have a sixteen-digit pan like every other card, you're going to have one that's unique to you from vital standpoint, and that's what you'll be able to use on all of these different channels. Wow! So that really does really allow people to have full control and and feel secure when when maybe something does look right, or maybe. They just, they don't want to expose themselves in the digital environment. They're able to really do the control. Yeah. And it, you know, great partners help, you know, we have uh, Cardworks that we work with, we work with Fiserv and, and as their partners um, as well. And then obviously, you know, I said to Evolve, you know, is 
a, a great digital first bank as well and, and kind of a, a disruptive force. A lot of different things that are in there that we just wanted to make sure that our partners, you know, gave uh, as much input into everything that we were doing. We asked them to, you know, let us go and, and take in the things that you want to see how they work. We'll, we'll build it into the card and get adoption. So, you know, we think that, you know, that's all... Uh, fair based on the fact that they helped us get to the point that we're at now. And, you know, I think a lot of the things that we use, again, Plaid, Experian, all of these great partners that we've had along the way that they will help us because I think they realize the same thing that we do, which is we're onto something, you know, we're going to get a lot of card holders in a lot of spaces that other people want to get them. And, you know, we look at this and say, it's just the first product, you know, it's not the only product we're going to have, but this was the entry point and it's going to move on to a lot of things. I'm really excited to see the social sharing and people who already have existing communities um, that, that are already built or up around them, then getting those folks involved and really just leveraging that, that social dynamicism of, of that relationships have already been built out. One cool thing that's happened just recently in the last 45 days is, you know, um, I, I'm not necessarily a, a huge race watcher, but, you know, I know NASCAR and I know how much, you know, following and demand it has. Um, there's a young driver, Chandler Smith. He's 19 years old. He's like LeBron James of NASCAR. <laughs> um, and he'd heard about us through, you know, uh, another uh, channel, you know, my, my other company that I have um, through mutual clients. We had talked about it. Um, he's 19. He loves and understands this whole social world. He has a ton of followers. He heard about the card. He heard about the program. And he said, but I, I want to I wanna have that on the car. So, you know, unbeknownst to us, our partners came back and worked out something, you know, got some open real estate, which is very expensive <laughs> to do on, a, on the hood of his car. So, you know, we're super excited to have him. But, you know, to your point, I think it's going to kind of transcend, you know, the whole um, kind of social influencing model. There's lots of people that have signed up, you know, that want to build it out into kind of their um, curator, you know, community. And, you know, of these populations of the Gen Z's and millennials, over 50% of it is doing some type of content creation every day. And that's really, you know, what we're trying to kind of speak to, right? You know, you should be, like I said, um, kind of ubiquitous anywhere that you want to go. You can take you know, your connectivity with you, you should be able to take your cash with you and, and use that as well. So, you know, we think that that's where we're resonating with and that's where we're going to continue to go. Well, I know you and I could sit here and talk about this for days. Payment nerds, man. <laughs> Is there anything like key that I miss that you want to make sure that everybody, everybody knows? I think it's three things. You focused and you talked about at the beginning, like there are the overlooked and kind of the underserved in all parts of financial services, right? And that's kind of really important to us. See, you know, you heard our mission statement. We want to be as all-inclusive as possible, whether that's access to the financial system, whether that's being able to, to share the good with, with others that may not know about it and that we can tell them, um, you know, we have secured cards. We have, nobody can not get a vital card if they don't want one. If they don't get approved, they're going to get a secured card option where we can put cash in and after 12 months of consecutive payments, everybody's going to graduate. Oh, wow. You know, there's the community will be as big as it wants to be. And nobody's going to get denied from having access to the card if they want the card. That is fantastic. I didn't, didn't realize that you were going to, as they build that out and they show their positive history, 
get them to that point of, of having that true card yep. and, and graduate them up. That is fantastic. Thank and that, that's going to be a big, big piece of really, I believe it's going to be a really, really big piece of this. What I'm going to do um, is I'll put in the show notes, a link for you to sign up for your vital card. And if you have questions for Adam, we'll have it in the show notes again, also in the description, uh, ways to reach out to him and the team over at vital card uh, to learn more about it. But like I said, we'll have some links in there for you guys to just go ahead and hop on and get signed up and everything. So Adam, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. We've had some some interesting noises, airplanes, cars. Nature. Nature. nature yeah. All that stuff going on. I appreciate you allowing me uh, to do this outside. Better, man. Pleasure. And uh, thanks again. All right. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Be sure to subscribe to Fintech Confidential on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast player by going to podcast.fintechconfidential. Our show notes in each episode are available at www.fintechconfidential.com. And you can get Fintech Confidential information by signing up at access.fintechconfidential.com. If you want to be a guest on Fintech Confidential, submit your application at guest.fintechconfidential.com. Fintech Confidential, bringing you the people, tech, and companies that change how you pay and get paid.